0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we're giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci
2: Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music.
1: Hey, welcome to the 77th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow, And I'm Oren Kaplan,
2: and today we have filmmakers Luke Corum and Bradley Jackson. They made a movie called Delt, which is about one of the best card magicians in the world. Uh, he's a, actually a, a card mechanic. He can basically do anything anyone has ever done with cards. He's like amazing, and he also happens to be blind like completely blind like if you turn he, he can't tell
1: you if a light is on or off in a room that's how blind he is and is an incredible magician their movie is like it's moving it's funny it's everything you want it's a total crowd pleaser uh, and a real inspiration if you're interested in documentary if you just like plain old good movies can't recommend Delt highly enough it'll be out in theaters October 20th October 20th and available on iTunes soon thereafter. So check it out. The guys had a ton of great information about how they crafted the documentary and how they made sure that the narrative made sense, even though they didn't have any control over how the story was unfolding in front of them. So I thought it was really great. It's applicable to all filmmakers, but especially if you're curious about documentary, give this one a listen.
2: Yeah, for sure. But before we talk to them, I think you wanted to catch up on
1: something with me. Something with you. So... A little catch up. I talked to uh, Bill Mann at the PPS group, who listeners will recall, he's the guy who reached out to me. He's a listener, a fan of the show, and I did those Kentucky lottery spots with, with the PPS group. And listeners may recall also that you were a little sarcastic about how you didn't get contacted and how you were waiting for their call. <laughs> so it turns out Bill was like, hey, let Oren know I emailed him. What? <laughs> <laughs> and I promised him I would say so on the show. <laughs> Wait, what's his last name? Man, M-A-N-N. <laughs> I wonder if maybe it went to, um, do you have like a, a contact form on your website or something like that? I do, but it goes to me. I mean, I don't have anything
2: in my Gmail. Hmm. I wonder if he emailed Oren Kaplan at
1: gmail.com, which is not me. Hmm. But people do that sometimes. That could be, well... Um, just so you know, Oren, people are out there looking for you. Wait, Bill, email me. Or maybe he emailed the podcast? No.
2: Bill find... Bill emailed me. I'll put you put you in touch. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's so that explains the... everything.
1: <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, cool. Well, man. I thought you'd think that was funny. I certainly did.
2: Yeah, no, it's
1: hilarious.
2: <laughs> well, cool. Well, so let's jump into this interview. Uh, anyway, we have uh, Bradley Jackson and Luke Corm here hello. sitting with us, producer slash writer and director of Delt.
0: Hello, hello.
3: Hello. Um,
2: Welcome, guys. thank, thank you The thank movie you for having about us. farts,
0: right? Yep. Whoever smelt it, deals no, that's, it. Okay, so that's
3: Bradley Jackson. I'm going to distinguish uh, <laughs> my shelf, myself from him. And this is Luke Corm, the director. Uh, yeah. So when you hear jokes, that's Bradley. Yep. When you hear thought-provoking, great stuff that you want to hear sure. about how to make films. That's Luke. Let's great. edit that last line out a little more. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: just kidding. No,
0: that's um, Bradley. You can edit my line <laughs> over, that's Luke.
2: So uh, I watched Delt last night, and the coolest part about it was that you guys sent me a Vimeo link, and I just played it off my phone and streamed it to my Apple TV, and it looked yeah, like it's amazing. Cool. Oh, just that's like, cool. it yeah. worked really hard on Except that. Except I, I couldn't... Yeah. The, the good part for you guys is I couldn't like be doing anything on my phone while I watched the movie. So
0: that's the way we planned it. <laughs> it's, pretty awesome.
2: it's been a really long time since like I watched a movie at home without just like checking my emails or anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you, you, you I, picked uh, the right movie to pay attention to. Or right? <laughs> I got teary-eyed and my I I was embarrassed because my wife was like, "Are you getting teary-eyed?" And I was like, "No, just." What do you want? Stop talking to me
1: <laughs> well so 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 listeners at home understand a little bit more about the movie. Tell us give us the log line the pitch dealt for us, real quick,
3: yeah, um, so Delt is about one of the world's greatest card magicians. His name is Richard Turner. He is sixty years old, and uh he is also completely blind, and so this film. Uh, is about his journey not only becoming one of the best in the world with, with a deck of cards, but also him um, coming to, I guess you could say coming to terms, but also allowing people to know he's blind because his whole life it is never really allowed to be mentioned. And anytime someone says he's blind, it became a point of conflict. So it's really about him coming to accept the fact that it's okay that people know that, um, but also what I do does stand on its own. Mm-hmm.
0: It kind of starts off. You think it's a movie about a guy who's a superhero, almost. And then, what I always liked about when we we're working on it is it's a little bit more of about a superhero who's becoming humbled. Mm-hmm. And by the end, his humbling leads to an acceptance, which makes him a better person, which makes him more super, in my opinion. So,
3: and he's a black belt martial artist. Yeah, that's black belt. So you know, little things like that.
0: He is daredevil,
3: and he got his black belt while he was blind.
0: Yes. yes. Yeah, he's been blind since the age of nine. So it's yeah,
3: he started losing his sight at age nine and was told at that point you will eventually lose all your sight,
0: yeah, he was legally blind at thirteen, and then by the time he was forty he had he became zero light perception, so he he can't tell if the lights are on or off
2: so and do you guys know I know in the movie he says he contracted a disease that made him go blind,
0: <clears throat> yeah, so he says that, um
3: him and his sister both had scarlet fever um but And that's true. But there is no real distinct. His sister is also uh, blind. And that's kind of like a reveal in the film when you watch it. A little plot twist. Um, But it's really not certain exactly what it is that he has. Like, we know it's something that was in his family. It's just not certain exactly. They say macular degeneration, which is a broad term. Basically, a hole started in the middle of his vision and went outward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought you guys did a really good job of illustrating that in the movie. Well, you know, what's cool about that is the guy, one of the people that did our visual effects, um, one of them um, who works on that, he is somewhat blind in one of his eyes. And so he actually gave us some, so I would talk to Richard and be like, hey, Richard, what was it like? Because he vividly remembers. Mm -hmm. Richard Turner is the subject of the film. He was like, it was like, it was like, you know, I remember it going dark in the middle and stuff. And I remember it being kind of blurry. And then the guy who did visual effects was like, it's also kind of smeary. You know, it like smears across the screen. So they did that. And when they first sent us the first samples, like, this is really good. You know, yeah. that was really cool.
2: That's cool. And your VFX guy is like, everyone's always hated my VFX because I never really do anything in the middle of the frame. But you guys are the first people to appreciate <laughs> that. First people to ever
0: do that. Yeah.
2: Um, bad joke. Hashtag bad joke. Um, so cool. Well, I imagine that. Most interviews you guys have been doing. I know the movie's
1: coming out soon, right?
2: October twentieth. yes. Hey,
1: congrats, guys! I Thank should you. also say I saw it at Hill Country a couple months back, mm-hmm. uh, and it killed. I it was such a blast to watch. Everyone had such a great time. Like, I think you guys already had distribution at that point. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But it was just like uh, it's so awesome to see something like that and know. Oh man, this is just going to go over so well with audiences, right? Yeah. So. Um, not to cut you off Warren, but were you going to ask distribution or?
2: No, I guess it, because I know you guys are kind of promoting the movie a lot now because it's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. I imagine most of your interviews are probably about Richard Turner, about the movie, sure. about how you found him and all that stuff. But I think what we can, what I'd prefer to dive into is like. Really, how you guys made the movie? You yeah. know, like yeah. Yeah. this
1: like, is our first documentary on the show. Actually, oh,
2: well, yeah, yeah. well, we've or, had Abby Fuller who directed oh, Table yeah, on yeah. Netflix. Ooh,
3: nice. Oh, right on. Um, yeah, that's but awesome.
1: she, there's a little bit more of a. Uh, there's a she, format uh, and a structure that she was kind of given, yeah. mm-hmm. to go and she gets in. to do scene work in a certain sense. You know, there's yeah. she's setting things up a little bit more. Than so your any,
2: first feature doc. That's us. Yeah, yeah,
0: great. I that's
1: awesome.
3: So. That's fun, right?
1: if it's not we'll just say it is yeah, it yeah. Is. apologies to a previous guest so I'm <laughs> well
0: that documentary is so probably awful <laughs> it's a really bad film um
2: but i think it's because watching the movie and if our listeners when you guys see the movie you'll see like there is very much like a lot of twists and turns mm-hmm. and reveals and like it, it very much feels like a structured movie like there's definitely like a third act right yes. the one year later part yes that Yeah. kind of well, is like at first yeah. i thought it was an epilog but then it was it's like very much its own
3: yeah i mean if you watch the, if you go out thing. and just google delt trailer you'll watch it and you'll see what we're talking about yeah there's definitely a, a big arc in the story so by the way the, the trailer drops on friday so. oh great oh, cool. people, so then, when this comes um, out it'll be out it'll be out yeah, great perfect that's yeah.
1: why i just said that yeah, yeah. so so we'll definitely have the trailer in the show notes for Sweet. people as awesome well. yeah um
2: but so i guess i'm just curious how it maybe give us the quick version of how you found Richard Turner,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and decided you know got got into making a documentary about him, uh, and then maybe I'm just curious about how you figured out the structure and what to shoot,
0: you know. <laughs>
3: Well, okay, so basically to sum it up, uh, Bradley came to me and said um, his roommate had heard about this magician who's incredibly talented who's blind.
0: You know how when like you have a roommate or a friend who doesn't work in film, mm-hmm. and they go, I've got a great movie idea for you, and then you automatically go, I can't wait for this conversation to end.
2: Sure, right, <laughs> um,
0: sure. This is the one that's, instance that's... <laughs> where this worked out. And I'm that, not joking.
2: That version is like 5% better than the the version of when someone comes and says like, Oh, you should make a movie about my life.
0: That has happened to me a few (laughs) times as well. But no, like I, so Luke and I made a documentary before this called Lord Montague. You can watch it on Amazon or iTunes. It's about an iconic British aristocrat. Um, And it was just kind of a, a really amazing experience for the both of us getting to work on that documentary for three or four years. And then when we were done, Luke and I kept talking like, what should we, Try and find another film to work on? What do we do? And I knew Luke had this background in magic. And Luke would kind of casually mention, like, oh, yeah, I used to do magic. And I'd be like, can you show me a trick? And he'd be like, no, no, no. He'd kind of be embarrassed by it. I don't know. I don't know why. I think magic's pretty cool. And then, randomly, when my roommate, uh, Taylor Woodward, if you're listening to this, thank you for this, was just like, I've got a great idea for a movie. Um, I met this guy's half brother who is the world's greatest card magician. And immediately I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Luke, maybe maybe Luke would be interested in that. And then he goes, oh, but he's blind too.
2: And I immediately <laughs> yeah, go, he oh, you might, might like, not be that interested. <laughs> <Yeah. He's blind. laughs>
0: and I was like, I'm not interested anymore. I don't want any <laughs> of that. No, I was like, I pretty much was thinking this isn't real. That's one of those urban legends. And sure. I, yeah, so yeah. he's like, no, his name's Richard Turner. He lives in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. He's like 58, 59 years old at the time. And I got on the internet and I, I looked him up, and his website was terrible. Um, and X well, means that's like a real, video. but he had yeah. amazing. <laughs> but he videos. had, a, but like I would, I'd be like, yeah. no, he's the real thing. And so I called. I pretty much within ten minutes, I called Luke, and I was like, look into this guy. So him. he
3: called me when yeah. he told me Luke. Uh, this guy, Richard Turner, it rang a bell in my head. Mm-hmm. Initially, I thought, this is a great story. I'm really excited. I call my dad. My dad made his living as a professional magician for many years in the 80s. Oh, okay. He wrote a okay. book on, books on sleight of hand. He's known in the sleight of hand community. He's What's your dad's name? Danny Coram well, would be how you'd know him if you look him up as a magician. It goes by Dan. But Danny Coram has a book out and stuff about it. And I performed alongside him until I was a teenager. Sure. So magic is yeah, very yeah. Says, something very yeah. ingrained to me. And um, I called my dad up, and this is exactly what I, said. I was like, Dad, have you heard about this guy Richard Turner? He's like, Luke, I've been trying to tell you, you need to make a film about Richard. And I
1: was going to say, the one thing better than like your roommate giving you an idea for a movie is your parents giving you an idea. Right. So you guys a, get both. It That's was a incredible. classic
3: case, and I, and I was like, oh, I do remember. But we were in the middle of finishing my first film, and I was like, I, I just wanted to make that we're first one.
0: Shut up, one. Dad. Yeah, I like, yeah. am how to make
3: a movie, Dad. <laughs> so he calls classic. Richard up. He, he called him up, and he's like, hey you got to meet my son. And turns out Richard had a couple of people, Mm -hmm. um, one in New York, one in L.A., wanted to make films about him. I I live in Austin. Uh, Bradley at the time did as well. We drove down immediately to San Antonio, and we're like, we got to make this documentary about you. He was like, his response was, I love that you come from a background of magic. Mm -hmm. I know your dad. But I don't know if you can make a film. So I want to watch your last film. I'm like, okay. So I sent him a DVD, and I'm like,
1: I mean, I know he's going to
3: listen to it, right, right, but right. you're not going to know what it looks like, you know, the sure. quality. Yeah. Well, little did we know, a guy he grew up with is uh, a guy who co-created Home Improvement mm-hmm. as well as made movie with uh, Jack with Jack Black, uh, Ber- um, Bernie Bernie, and yeah. some other stuff. That guy watched it and goes, okay, these guys are good. And we got a yeah. sample of approval. Six months later, we're cool. off and running. Awesome.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's the Amazing. dream right there, guys. So I think yeah. the
3: personal connection, I think that's something really important is I had a personal connection to the subject and the subject matter, and that Mm -hmm. went a long way.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I guess if I was him, I wouldn't want someone that doesn't care about magic or that thinks it's like a novelty to make a movie.
1: Yeah. Well, and and he doesn't. He wants it to be a real movie. It's not just like oh, a bunch of kids like come and waste my time for a few years and nothing ever comes of it. Well, he.
0: It's funny because I think he wanted it to be. If If you were to ask him honestly, like. He wanted it to be like, look how awesome I am. Sure. A little bit. Yeah.
1: Not that, because I think that's... that's why you say yes to documentaries, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. yeah. If somebody... As a person who has a podcast, right? Right. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I think, you know, that was obviously going into the structure. I think that was what you were wanting to talk about, how do we structure the documentary? Because, I mean, a lot of people think documentaries don't involve writing. They just, you're just capturing sure. what unfolds but
2: oh yeah i did notice a pretty prominent written by <laughs> yes I, I mean it's a yeah it
0: takes 20 seconds it's a solo title card no, <laughs>
2: no uh, i know i'm joking that's a joke for the
0: you podcasters
2: um <laughs> but but it is something i kind of well obviously i recognized her name because we've been emailing and stuff but it is something that i was wondering to myself like I wonder if most documentaries have written by credits.
3: A lot of them do. You know, I think that um, the thing with documentaries, especially if it's something that's a a subject that's currently living, it's not just historical. You know, we're not talking about just diving into the Civil War or something Mm -hmm. like that. But if you're actually following something present day, there is no script. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Sure. You don't know that person well enough to know their full story. So with Richard, all we knew was he lost his sight as a kid. He's amazing at cards is a fascinating subject. That's all we knew. Mm-hmm. And then when we got to filming, that changed. And so writing is really, it's ingrained. It's kind of like in the edit. Mm-hmm. It's also in the interview questions you come up with. Yeah. It's also in where do we go and when do we film and when do we need to be there for what might happen. Right, right. There's very, heavy, always, yeah. very heavy
0: whiteboarding yeah. as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, a, lot um, of, a lot of guessing. A lot of guessing. Well, what's interesting is in addition to our first documentary, we wrote like treatments, long treatments. Like our our first documentary, we actually wrote in final draft mm-hmm. a script. Really? Wow. yes, yeah. With dialogue? Yes, with because he yep. had already done a long filming trip in the UK. Oh, so we so had kind
2: of VO and things that are connecting yes. the story. Yes.
0: Yeah. And and with this one we didn't go that far. I think we did that on the first film because this we time were you used so terrified.
2: Movie we, magic screenwriter. Yeah, <laughs> Can just, cell like, phoning it in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, but we wrote like a like a we wrote a five outline. page outline of like and the first ten minutes of the movie is almost exactly yep. as we wrote it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The rest and of
3: it, obviously, we couldn't predict. But there's moments in the film that we from the beginning had written out in this document, which we just went back and looked at. It's pretty cool to be like, wow, that actually is in the final film. Yeah, and the the, sister
2: reveal. There's all these things that you know. What I like about how you guys open the movie is like, first of all, I was telling my wife, I was like, this is about a blind magician, and you don't you yeah, address the blindness in like the first ten minutes for of quite, time. quite a while. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. To, long enough to the point where you're like, wait, I thought this was about a blind guy. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: which was, is, I mean, obviously quite in right. On, well, it's yeah. part what, of it. There is a there's a two percent
3: people that will go and watch it. We learn from our test screenings yeah. that don't know, mm-hmm. and so one, we wanted to kind of like let's not address the obvious thing in the room, but also the people who don't really know. Let's make that surprise, but let's just not draw ta- attention to what people know they're going to go see, mm-hmm. right? So, like, let's not talk about it. So right. you forget about it. And I think when you watch Richard throughout the film, there's sometimes you forget he's blind. I yeah. don't get it when I talk to him. That's kind of the point of the story also is, like, that doesn't matter so much. Mm-hmm. You know, right. when you meet somebody just because he has a visual um, handicap or a visual disability – you know we all have in some some ways a disability, but they might not be visual, right Someone might be like someone who's really nervous all the time, sure, but you might sure. not see it and like so with Richard, we just wanted to treat him like anybody else and just let you enjoy him as a person then be like and he's blind, and you're like, "Wow, now we're going to get into that you know it makes it more interesting right
2: and I mean thematically that's right that's kind of I feel like what's good about it is the filmmaking is like telling the story just through the filmmaking right. in which mm-hmm. him as a person. He ne- he never wants to be anyone to lead his introduction as, hey, here's a blind magician. Right. Right, yeah. right. It's like, here's a magician, and oh, you might notice later on that he's blind. Yeah. Which is like, I, I mean, it's so, like the type of magic he does. In the documentary, he calls himself a like, card mechanic. yeah, right. yeah. Um, And he does all this magic for our listeners where he's like, Guessing, like you basically tell him what card you want him to deal you, and he'll deal it to you.
3: He demonstrates, he's what's known as a, car, a mechanic. A card mechanic is someone who can demonstrate the ways you can be cheated at the card table. Mm-hmm. So if you say, How many players do you want? How, um, what, what's, what hand do you want? He'll deal four. You say, You want four hands, four hands. What player do you want? Three, and he'll deal four aces in your hand. He can control the outcome, mm-hmm. which is just, it's a skill more so than just magic, but it is magical.
2: Right. But it's not just like something that a blind person to be able to do. No, it. or no. a
0: sighted person. Yeah. Or a person.
2: Well, That's yeah. the thing. Even people with sight can't do what Richard
3: does, which is pretty incredible.
1: Right. Well, and I think also you guys do a great job of really illustrating the level of obsessiveness, right? Like he yeah. it, early in the film, he's like taking you through like he has like a stockpile of like cards, and he'll go through like I don't rem- don't remember how many. A oh, he day, makes this joke like, that he goes through like three packs a day. Yeah, yeah right. Three yeah, pack a three day habit. Yeah, right. He used to have a six pack a day habit. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And literally, like, but they're packs of cards. He's yes. he's shuffling cards constantly. sixteen hours a day. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. He and it's it's all genuine. Actually, the only time I've ever seen him without cards. Is when we were doing his main interview mm-hmm. for the film because we were miking him and we had a boom mic and a, and a lav on him and you can't have a guy shuffling cards sure. and making that yeah. sound right. and he was he was a little agitated. Oh, as
3: soon as we take breaks, it was like a smoker. He would immediately reach down and pick up that deck and yeah. start shuffling it. Yeah. It was almost like you could like feel, like if we had like a heart monitor, you would feel his heart go down. Like you'd <laughs> hear it. Like so it yeah. was amazing. Well, his
2: wife tells the story that they're like having sex and she's like hears like. <sighs> Yes, he's yep, known for it's... making love while shuffling a deck <laughs> yeah. of cards. Right, let me ask you this. Do you think if you handed him any card from the deck, he could feel what card it is?
3: I don't know. That's a, I've, I'll tell Actually, you this. I've seen him do just about
2: anything that I thought was impossible, so I would not rule that out. Because I feel like, there, I mean, he must have this tactile skill to okay, feel so, so something that's ink.
3: not in the film. But he is the touch analyst for the US Playing Card Company, which makes all of bicycle and B cards. Mm. So, about 30 years ago, he called up US Playing Card Company and said, You're ruining the cards. And they're like, I'm sorry, who is this? And they said, <laughs> You're one, you're cutting the cards the wrong way. In other words, he could tell that they were cut, what's called punching, that they were cutting them face down instead of face up. I hope I'm getting that right. Anyway, which way the blade was going through mm. and that they changed their card stock because of the moisture level on the cards and they were like, "Let's get back with whoever this is." And they went to their the people in the assembly line, turns out everything he said was right. So they said, instead of getting They're angry, like,
2: and what? Miguel on the assembly line had <laughs> like three sandwiches on Wednesday. <laughs> Let's get that back down to two.
3: So he's on retainer with the U.S. playing card company. He, yeah. he, they send him decks of cards. Anytime they change anything, he's their touch analyst. That's so they incredible. say he can feel within one one-thousandth of
0: an inch.
2: Wow. That's good. So for, to answer your
3: question, yeah. I wouldn't rule it out. <laughs>
0: yeah. he may, as he also says, he's, he says, I don't have, my two eyeballs don't work, but I have ten eyeballs on my that fingers. Nice. fingers so, yeah. yeah,
2: Right. That's cool. So let's get back to... The structure and kind of mm-hmm. how you guys shot the movie because you have. And I'm kind of curious about what you were saying, your previous documentary on you wrote in Final Draft. Because <laughs> in this movie, there is kind of there's interviews of Richard that are kind of shot beautifully, like on a black background with like really nice right, kind lighting. Of your, right? your studio kind yeah. of talking yeah. head sort of experience. And there's yeah. the card close up shots that are kind of used throughout the right. entire film, like the bridges and the waterfalls and the whatever the, yeah. the ter- terms are that look kind of like they're shot on a really nice camera with really nice lighting. I guess I'm just asking when you're making the documentary, do you just kind of start gathering things? And then in the meantime, you're writing the script for like the last thing we're going to do is shoot these like beautiful interviews that kind of connect everything. Yeah. At, at what missing? point are you gathering
1: pieces?
3: Well, I will say it's shooting style. Um, the cards in the studio was something personally, that was one of the very first things that I wanted to do mm-hmm. that. I knew immediately this is what we're doing because cards are something that are very small and watching magic on screen is cool, but watching it in person is better. And what Richard does is so small with the cards, I wanted people to appreciate the level of difficulty. And the only way to do that without getting inside baseball was to show it in a way that shows the art of it, Mm -hmm. the beauty of it. So... That decision to bring him in studio, use red cameras, slow motion, under glass tables, macro lenses we used because I wanted to show the tacticalness because touch is very important to Richard. Sure. So the touch and feel of the cards. So that was a pure just artistic um, decision. Richard in studio, we shot him in a black background. Everybody else was shot in their, in their home or in, a mag- in the Magic Castle in mm-hmm. a natural setting because Richard talks about... Uh, I wanted every time you see Richard, he's talking about his past and he's talking about something that's dramatic in his life and also just the element of not being able to see. I thought it just made it more dramatic. Sure, it, It's every, a subjective experience, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. So it's just that's different great. when you see that's him great. talking on camera. Yeah. We wanted to make that different and that was our way to do it. Yeah. So that, those the style choices were made day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would look at some other documentaries and send it to our DP and say, I want him to look like this. So all the style was never changed from the mo- the moment we started filming. Yeah. We knew what we were doing there.
0: I think some of the, the, I mean, as far as style goes, I think we were definitely inspired by, I think, Jira Dreams of Sushi. Sure. Because I was not, I'm not a foodie. I'm not, I like sushi, but I'm not obsessed with it. <laughs> uh, I thought they did a good job of portraying being a sushi chef as an art form. And I think we definitely were talking like, oh, we should try and do the same thing for card work because I've never seen card work being shown as really delicate art form. Um, So yeah, that was definitely something we knew We knew there's going to be, for for lack of a better word, there's going to be some magic porn Mm -hmm. in this movie where people who love magic or who are interested in it are going to go, oh my goodness, look at that second deal or look at that lift or look at that shuffle, that perfect pharaoh shuffle or whatever. Um and i knew I think we knew that that was going to be peppered in throughout the whole film, but I think finding that really compelling arc, the arc of the story, was what I mean just was the hardest part of yeah. making this movie um
3: there's so, actually some interesting stories about that I mean, if you want to get i mean yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so this is
1: all about inside baseball guys, so, so the, dig in yeah,
3: I will say the biggest decision point came um. We have a fantastic editor. Uh, Derek Boonstra is his name. He's done a lot of amazing documentaries, and um, he did a fantastic job. And we are about a year and a half into making the film, and it was very much a straightforward biopic. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of history of Richard. A lot of stuff that's not in the film that is really interesting. I mean, a lot right. of stuff happened mm-hmm. in his life that we cut out, which we could go on forever. But what happened was we realized, like, Asa, his son, was going to be going off to college. We realized how important his mm-hmm. son was in his life.
0: His son is like kind of his eyes sure. in a certain
3: way. Meeting yeah.
1: him around. And his best yeah. friend. Yes, right? yes. You yeah, know, for sure. Like, and his like work partner. Yeah. right. Yes. Mm-hmm.
3: And then Lori, his sister, who's also blind. When we did our first rough cut screening, people were just like, because we like to do that early on. People were like, man, I love Lori. Like, mm-hmm. everybody was just, Lori, Lori, Lori. So we knew that was important. We also knew something might happen when Asa go to college because he's in high school, he's a senior. So what happened was when Asa left for college, that's a big moment in the film, we won't get in too much into it, but we things were changing. Mm-hmm. And we realized...
2: Like we, in real life. In real action. life. And mm-hmm. so we took... yeah. To me, that's like that's the moment we took where my wife was making... Do what? That's the moment where my wife was like trying to talk to me, and I'm like, just don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's
3: the, that's you know the third act. Really, things get you know the the stakes are high. Sure. So we scrapped about two thirds of the edit. We had basically a whole movie cut. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, And what we did is we kept the most important parts of Richard's past life, and found ways to continue the story arc, but dip back to them when we most when it was necessary. And that's really what made the movie what it is. It was chasing the story, it was listening. I think there's a great line that says, It's if you, when you set out to make a documentary, if what you start out to make is what you end up with, then you're not listening. And that's a great thing to think about because when you're in interviews, people are telling you things you didn't know. And when you're with a subject who is present day, his life is changing, her life's changing. Like you got to listen and like look at that footage and be like, Things are happening. This is this is the story. As much as it might pain, you know, pain you to scrap a lot of work Even you've if done. The, yeah,
1: you're throwing away a movie, yeah. effectively. Yeah. So I went to a our editor,
3: yeah. and I was like, "Dude, we got to do this." And he understood. He was like, "This is the better story." Yeah. And we all collectively, Bradley, yeah. everybody's like, "This is the best story. Let's do it." So, what was
2: the original story?
3: Well, the original story was more about, I mean, like the has, making
2: of Richard Turner. Well, yeah.
3: there's stuff like, for instance, we won't get too far into it, but he was so far into the. When he started losing his vision, he lost all hope for his life, uh, drugs, et cetera. I mean, it was real dark. Yeah. So there was a whole another path. Where it was a it was an arc. It was a great arc about to get to where it is mm-hmm. today. So like how he lost his vision, the bottom fell out mm-hmm. of his whole life. Things drugs. got really bad. And how
2: before he met his wife. Yes,
3: yes. and then how he became this incredible card guy. And even some stuff before he met his wife, like some stuff. So it was it was a great film. Um, it just wasn't as powerful as the Mm -hmm. the present day character, which Richard is so amazing. We wanted more Richard on camera, more of his family, Mm -hmm. more Lori, more that. And that that's what resonated with people. Yeah.
0: I think two documentaries that do a really good job of this. One's very recent and one one we always talked about in the past was uh, The Queen of Versailles. Mm -hmm. Which if you haven't seen that documentary, it's great. It's essentially they start out like we're gonna document we're gonna make a documentary about one of the richest families in America. Building the largest house in America. And then halfway through almost
2: about the the guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. It was like a puff piece almost. And then halfway through, they lose all their money. Right. And instead of instead of like being like, oh, we gotta scrap the documentary, like, no, this is a better
1: one. This this is the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think as an audience member, like that moment where you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening, Mm -hmm. and you have that second where you're like Oh, the filmmakers are all freaking out right now, yes. capturing this moment. There's yeah. that extra layer of fun, yeah. and I think that's kind of the the thing that maybe is almost an expectation for filmmaker or for audience members now. When you're looking in documentaries, yeah, you want to you surprise know. them. Yeah, exactly. Well, so.
2: I do wonder. So there's this kind of subplot about him being nominated for Magician of the Year. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Is that something? Like, I guess I was trying to figure out if that was like. A little manufacturer or luck? No,
3: not we fell into at all. it. You always need a little bit of luck when you're doing this stuff. Yeah. You know, like it's like when, a card game. Yeah, we 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 needed. You know, we needed what happened to happen. Um, he was nominated for close magician for closest magician of the year. Um, Don't spoil. Yeah, we won't spoil. It's a big deal. Anyway, so what happens in the film actually happened, and we were like cheering when both like we knew we
0: had a like. Sure,
1: you're like this is our ending. We yes, did it. Yeah, yeah. So like yeah.
3: It, it really was like. Fortuitous for us.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it definitely, like, we almost, there was a brief moment where we almost didn't film that. It was mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, we can't afford this. Like, oh, geez.
3: Yeah. So,
1: actually, that, that brings up a great question. I'm really curious about, you know, the act of making a documentary. Like, how many years did it take you guys to shoot? This one was three years. Three years. So, three yeah. years of From your From the life.
3: time we, yeah, you know, we met Richard about six months before shooting.
1: And how many people are like in the core team? Like working on this six, actively, six, six people: six, one, two, three, four,
0: five, six. director, writer, producer, producer, editor, DP, sound. Right. So seven, yeah. six, seven. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: it's not like that's a ton of people, but that's a lot of people to like be working on a yeah. thing for yeah, this yeah, long. Yeah, you don't yeah, know if yeah. it's going to be good or not. You yeah, don't know if right. it's going to sell. Yeah. For so sure. are you all like just buddies from back home? How does that? How does one go about making a documentary the way you guys do it? So.
3: Um, I come from a background where I did uh, commercial advertising before I made my first film. Um, I made a lot of uh, videos for uh, people that were um, starting, that were angel investors, of people that had, had startups. Mm-hmm. So I had a network of people that I knew who were in that space. And what happened was when we made Lord Montague, our, our first, first, album, film. first film, and we proved that we could make a film, we then, when we when we heard about Richard, we went back to the people that helped us make Lord Montague and said, who do you know? Mm-hmm. Basically, we we got a group of people who were either angel investors, invested in startups, invested in uh, real estate, mm-hmm. that type of stuff. Sure, because sure. at the end of the day, a film, an independent film, is like a startup. Right, yeah. And so this was all privately funded. Uh, we worked really hard. And what we did, the ace in the hole was, we would we would show them Lord Montague the trailer. Mm-hmm. And be like, Okay, these guys want to make a film we would tell him about what the film is generally going to be about. Like, this is cool. And then we'd be like, and now we want you to introduce you to Richard Turner and Richard Turner would come out and he would perform and tell him about uh, a story and people go. would be like, uh, yeah. yeah. So it literally took us about two months, maybe less before we had half the money for this film. Yeah. And yeah.
2: you would fly him out to wherever. Well,
3: we were all in Austin at the time yeah. and Richard is in San Antonio. So all of like, we would go to San Antonio, do an investor presentation, Austin and in Dallas, mm-hmm. so the people that we knew, we'd say bring someone else. And by the way, even if you don't invest in the film, you're going to see one of the world's greatest card magicians, right. and they'd be like, "I'm in. Can yeah, I bring sure, my kids? Sure. Like, sure, bring your kids. Whatever you want to do. We'd cater it the whole thing, and it was very laid back, and it was very entertaining. It mm-hmm. wasn't heavy because with our film, we're not like trying to save the world of something where you can just do a nonprofit and mm-hmm. say whatever. We're making it a person, so. It has to be something where someone's willing to invest and not be like just write it off. Sure, that's how you do yeah, it with yeah. other cause right, films. Right. So it was really it was having Richard was our ace in our hole.
1: Yeah, that's so great. So okay, so you guys you raise your funds. Are you guys at liberty to say how much you raised? Just to we can't start we with? can't say yeah but, sure sure but yeah. It was, Can you tell us how you go
2: one hundred million
0: dollars? Oh man! Yeah, yeah.
2: Can you tell us how you go about budgeting something like? Yeah, there
1: you go.
3: Yeah. So, um, I think. We learned from making the first film approximately how much it would cost. Uh, Russell Groves, uh, the other producer, he and I would just sit down, talk about expected travels, mm-hmm. um, talk about the size of the crew. How
0: much you're going to pay me.
3: How much we're paying. a huge line item. <laughs> yeah, which was the biggest pain in the butt. We are like, how many days can we afford to put Bradley in studio with this? Probably like 5 we're like, oh my God, it's going to cost yeah, us so yeah. much money. Really, it just came down to how many expected days travel. We look at that. How many times are we going to have the whole, like, group, which means, like, six or seven of us travel?
2: Right. And uh, how, you, how can you predict how many days you're going to travel? It's all guesswork, man. Yeah. Um, the, is 20 days, like, uh, no, accurate? No, that's like, not good. 100 days? Uh, I think it was around 45.
0: Yeah, I mean, we knew, because Richard is a world traveler, and that he, yeah. he gets asked to go around the world, we knew that was going to be a component, like... And that's what I think is really great about the movie. Because you guys go to Finland. Or we go to Sweden. Right? We go to Sweden. Yeah, uh, we go to Costa Rica. Yeah. Um, and Richard is like he just got back from Portugal. So we felt like within the first thirty minutes of the movie, we needed to showcase that he's a big deal because mm-hmm. most people probably have not heard of him. Right. And so
1: it's nice to like. To, and it's hard to get the sense of like a big deal as a magician. Like, what does that mean? Like, you yeah, know who yes. David Copperfield is, but yes. like beyond that, like, what does that look like? Yeah.
0: Right? So yeah. when you see him in in Sweden and you see like. 150 people watching him and like some guys and you know talking in Swedish back and forth and like geeking out over him you're like oh so he's just a he's he's a big deal I just don't know about right yeah yeah Yeah.
3: so it's a lot of the that is guesswork um, Mm -hmm. and then like working with your editor we worked out a deal with him, mm-hmm. figuring out how much we can pay him, and we knew that editing documentaries takes a long time. Mm-hmm. So we, you always make sure, always make sure to add a good contingency. Mm-hmm. Very crucial. <laughs> never under, uh, never undersell yourself on that.
2: So, do you, with your editor, do you work out like a flat rate or like a monthly rate? We work a out, rate? we worked out a
3: monthly, monthly rate, um, and then estimated how many months we need him editing. It turned out because the story changed, where he was in the editing chair for. Nine months, and then I was. Um, So, yeah. I mean, it just—you can never guess like what's going to happen. At the end of the day, when you raise that amount of money, you have two choices. If things change, you can go back to your investors and say, "We're going to raise more money, and reduce your shares."
1: Right. Which you don't want to do. Which you don't (laughs) want to do. Sure. Or
3: B, we're going to make the best story and make you happy, and not, not, we're not going to raise the ceiling on what we're budgeting. And you just have to make that choice. Sometimes it's a, it's a discussion with your investors. For us, we just felt like it's not a discussion. We're not raising this. Right. We're not changing what we said we would raise. And so I jumped in the editing chair for a while and just did double duty and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. we all doubled down like, mm-hmm. this is going to be worth it. Mm-hmm.
2: And you just, if you know that, you just do it. And you know? do you guys give yourselves more equity? Like if you're sitting in the editing chair for like nine months and like one of your producers is like off making millions of dollars... Shooting an X Men movie. That was me. Yeah. Um, sure. I
0: DP'd the last two X Men
2: movies. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, mean, you hey, I thought yeah, those so looked good. a little, yeah. Yeah. A little <laughs> The white balance <laughs> was a little off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> According to uh, some video essay I found on yeah. YouTube,
3: CinemaSins. Yeah. I, I think yeah. it's all it's all malleable and different. I, I think because uh, we had uh, gone through another film together, we, mm-hmm. we had internal discussions like, yes, because I was going to be editing and stuff like. If things happen down the line, then Luke, we will hit you back in this way or whatever. But really, what you have, the main thing is you gotta love the story. You all come together and say we're all sacrificing. Because when you're an independent filmmaker at this stage, it's about making a great film. And all that stuff's gonna come back to you, so don't worry about it. You know, like can you pay bills? Can you make a good film? And are you in it are you in it for the long run? Yeah.
2: And that's really what's And do you have you're married, I'm assuming. Yes, I'm married. Does your spouse like say like what? You're gonna work for nine months without getting paid?
3: No, so my She's amazing. She's amazing and also like she knows my background of like I mean, I've, I've been an entrepreneur since I was like, when I left, when I left high school and went to college, I was making videos all through college Mm -hmm. and I was always making money doing that. And when this film came around, it was like, we knew how special it was and the opportunities that can come. And in this business, you have to risk or there is no reward. Sure. And, um, so it was, it was more like a discussion, like this is worth it. It's going to work out. And, you know, if I have to take something on the side and we don't get to see each other much for a little while because I'm working all the time, then we do
1: that, and so that's what we right. did. And, and that's just kind of like the terms of your relationship from the get go, anyway. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and great. to
0: to brag on Luke a little bit because I don't do it enough. Uh, I mean, Luke Luke truly was full time for for three years, and 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 not to say that myself and our producer Russell weren't full time emotionally. I would definitely spend two days a week. A few hours a day sitting with Luke, going through the edit, but I was doing other stuff. Russell was sure. doing other stuff, and and then when when stuff would, when trips would come up for the movie, we would obviously set aside, or we would go do that, or when editing sessions would come up. But I think that's what a great
2: documentary needs is
1: sure there has to be a person to kind of carry the flag. Yeah, and that yeah. was Luke, yeah,
2: hands yeah.
0: down. So yeah,
2: um, cool. Can I ask you a little bit about just like the technical stuff?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so Let's geek out. so when you are planning a trip how many cameras do you bring
3: what happened was is we did a lot of verite in the film mm-hmm. so um initially I thought like we had a DP named Jacob Hamilton and we everything every trip was gonna be planned and we had this because it was originally a biopic so like mm-hmm. we knew we were filming sure when things changed we bought a camera and I did a lot of filming as well c300 c300 was Fantastic for us came in the clutch. It's the
0: perfect documentary camera.
3: Yeah, and now they have this, the the next version of it. Mark II. Two. Mark two, II, pretty great. It's great. Yeah, it's really good. Um, so this whole film was shot with. For those of you want to know, is all with C three hundred and Red.
0: Yeah, the Red. The, we shot the Red for the uh, studio, studio stuff. and studio. the card stuff. Yeah, because yeah. we wanted that extra sure, sure. cinematic look.
2: And the C three hundred does it have autofocus, or do
1: you have to uh, manually it did, focus but, everything? but
3: you know the update came out while we were filming, so we're
1: just like, screw it, let's just keep going. So. But um, it does have like built-in ND and like it's like oh yeah, it's a one-man band. It's a workhorse. Of, you know? Yeah, so Is a lot it better of, than the HVX two hundred
2: because oh, that's I what say, I got. I would say so for sure. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what about the D, what about the DVX one hundred? <laughs> Ooh, I don't have that, but I do have a PD one hundred and fifty. <gasps> yeah, oh buddy. Oh my god, I yeah. did.
3: Yes, I well, I sold that on eBay sure, sure. several years ago. Good dude.
2: call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or it'll sell you another While one of you want to. still held a dollar. Yeah, <laughs> I just use it as like a prop, like whenever there's a videographer. Actually, I use the HVX. You should have a that.
3: display case of these,
2: you know, sure. retired cameras. Yeah. My right wife would really want seventy five cameras sitting out here in the living room. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you should, Luke. You should talk to them about how we shot the uh, the Magic Castle stuff because that's really yeah. Interesting
3: so. So basically, just to answer your question. I I would because I could also do cinema like cinematography work. Um, that made life a lot easier. So yeah. on trips, we'd have um just two cameras. That's mostly what we did. Um, and did you bring lights? No, for interviews. Was for one. interviews, of course.
2: Yeah. Yes, interviews of like light used. panels or like a big keynote camera. Like
3: we do, like a, a big bank. I don't know all the terms for all the stuff. I'm just guys. the writer. I, 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 I just know how to make things look good. I'm not the DP. I just say, yeah, that looks good. That doesn't change the lighting there. Sure, sure. I'll say this. When we interviewed magicians, we wanted it to look like uh, more well-lit, more like theatrical. When we interviewed just friends and family, we'd do natural light. That was a stylistic mm-hmm. choice in the beginning, just so you highlight someone. This is someone right. in the arts. This is someone whose friends or family. The
2: Magic Castle is interesting.
0: If those uh, listeners out there don't know what the Magic Castle
2: is, it is... Oh, yes. It's like exactly what you think it is. <laughs> it is the most amazing place. It's in
0: Hollywood. Uh, it is a very exclusive magic club, sure. adult, adult magic
2: club.
1: And I, it's a castle.
2: Yeah, it's a castle.
1: Y- y- you know, ca- yeah, kind castle. Of, yeah. well, no, and it's I'm not Harry Potter. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Not Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but a magician's club, right? So it is yes. exclusive yeah. and kind of like one of the world's... Certainly, the United States' like premier yes. venue. It's an
3: elite place where you have to like audition, uh, be selected to perform there. Mm-hmm. And so, Richard performs what's called the Close Up Gallery, mm-hmm. which is made for close up magic. And close up magic means you gotta be close. So, yeah, there's like, it's 16, it's a six raked theater. About 20, right? yeah, maybe okay. 20, and it's raked. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's very tiny. What? I I knew that like I was like, we need more we like we gotta have several cameras in there. Well they told us we could only have one.
2: And there's actual normal guests that yes. are there. Yes that yes. you are gonna film. So
3: because of Richard, we got more access. Mm-hmm. And also because people do remember my dad there, so they're like, Oh, oh you're cool. you kinda like okay, so you're one of us, type of, you know. So then we were like, Can we have two? And then finally like, okay, you can have two. And like, can we have three? And like bottom line is that we ended up having I think around four cameras in there. And it it's a tiny, tiny room. And mm-hmm. it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but it, it paid off because you got to get the audience reactions. Sure. That's what sells it. Mm-hmm. And then we wanted people afterwards to talk about Richard. And like, so we filmed at least 25, 30 shows there. Oh. Only one of them is used because we wanted the, the absolute best reactions because yeah. You know some people might be drinking some nights because the open club, like, yeah, this yeah. is not something we're set up. They do
1: like pump you full of drinks, oh, yeah, oh yeah, for yeah. sure.
3: And yeah. so, like, there sometimes, I mean, he would always crush it, it would right. just depend like who's on his left and his right from the audience right. and whether they were like hammered or whether they had like on like an inappropriate outfit that we couldn't like necessarily use sure, and was sure. distracting. So, it was a lot of work, yeah.
0: And you had a you had the is it the Blackmagic camera? We did. Overhead? We struck that. We initially yeah.
3: thought, let's film Richard with an overhead Blackmagic yeah. camera. I hated that thing because we couldn't see through it. Um, and when you flip over lights on a dark table, it would like overexpose because it would mm-hmm. try to change exposure.
2: Right. And um, you have these super white, glossy, shiny it's, it's, cards on a black. Yeah, it was a nightmare. Yeah.
3: So what we did yeah. is we, we actually had a manned camera at the top and they told us we couldn't. And we're like, please, please. We're like, no. I'm like, please, no. And then we just did it. And they're like, well, we can't change that. So we had
0: someone behind the camera and it looks great. That's lesson number <laughs> yeah. one of independent filmmaking. Just ask, right. ask for, for forgiveness. forgiveness, not permission.
1: Uh, okay, so you, so you shot with right. your team, mm-hmm. and so, sometimes you're a little bit more set up for things. It's a little more planned. Sometimes it, you said it's verite. So, like, what's an example of like a time where you maybe weren't planning on shooting and last minute had to like scramble to make something happen?
3: So we decided that whenever it was something that might be really intimate, <clears throat> might be something that was more like at his house with his family, that I would just go. And I would spend, I spent the night. They actually. And you would do sound as well. I would do sound. So I would take a, a lav. I would, um, I got really good at it. Uh, I had to learn. I asked our sound guy. I was like, can you, Sean, can you show me how to mic these, like how to do like a really great mic? Like, like I'm not going to pay you under to, the shirt. to shoot and he's like, me. And he's like, why would I do that and put myself out of a job? Yeah. Like, Sean, <laughs> no, you don't understand, man. Like, I'm going to do this like 80 times. So like, you're going to go on all the trips like everybody else. This is just me. Right. He wouldn't show me. So, what I did was, I would just watch him obsessively and I learned. Sean didn't show you? Sean never showed me. Oh, what? So, man. I just watched watch him. Dick. He's and like I, a magician. And I, I would like lo- <laughs> a good
2: sound guy never reveals his tricks. I would tricks. look at his kit and I learned <laughs> once that a mic, twice a lesson.
3: Yeah, he was. <laughs> right. And he was like stubborn about it too. And I was like, sure. we're friends. Like, yeah. come on, Sean. Yeah, oh, like, I'm right? not going to bring you anywhere, Sean. Yeah.
1: yeah. Sean, if mean, I'm giving this? you points on this movie Sean. We're not giving him any points. <laughs> no, okay, Fuck that He got Fuck paid, yeah. he got paid every time though.
0: He got paid
3: so So much. moleskin, the whole thing. I just looked at his kit and copied it. Yeah, yeah. And um, we got a nice my, nice mic under the shirt. I would mic up uh Richard every time. We had this really nice compact boom that would go on the camera that was like I think it was like a $1200 one. So it was like a really sh- nice short shotgun condensed microphone. Again, just looking at what Sean had, and yeah, just yeah. like copied all <laughs> right. the stuff, and then, um put that on there. It was great, and that helped a lot, so like in the film, you'll see a scene, for instance, like when ASA goes to college, I was spending the night at their house, and that was by the way, we didn't really get the good stuff until about at least three months of me going there all the time because mm-hmm. then they stopped caring yeah. and performing, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh, Luke's here again, yeah, yeah, oh, the guys are here, yeah, we became almost part of the family right. and they don't
2: act for you. They perform. Do you ever like have to say like, Oh, can you just keep doing what you're doing, but just move like 10 feet away from that Absolutely. giant billboard? Absolutely. I mean, sometimes you got to
3: interject and be like, that's not looking good. But if it's a, like for instance, when that scene, when Asim leaves, he was right next to like a refrigerator and the sound was horrible, but I did not stop him mm-hmm. because he's very emotional. It's like, screw right. it. doesn't yeah, That yeah. does not matter. So you got to make a call like on the spot, like, Verite is very much something that you, you – what you need to do is when you film, isn't that especially when you first start with your subject, go home and watch that every time. You'll learn what you're doing right and what wrong. Chances are 99% of that you're never going to use because it's the first stuff right. and it's never really that good because they're not comfortable with you. So just learn like um, – if it's just you especially – you're filming Oren, you know, and then you turn around and you film Bradley and they're having a conversation with each other. How to make that look natural with only one camera is really mm-hmm. difficult. Where to get your cutaways. like Sure, sure. It, you just got, and then eventually it's just like second nature to you.
2: So what's your method? like? So in that scene, Asa's like on the right and Laurie. Well, well, or that, I, uh,
3: that one, it was just Richard and then the family. I knew like as soon as Richard was like, you know, getting emotional about his son leaving. I raced upstairs because I realized Ace, you know, you know, Ace is probably finished packing. So I go upstairs and I was like, "Stop packing." He's like, "Okay," and I was like, "Okay, keep packing." And it was like, <laughs> but this was like eight months in, nine months in, so like he knew I might do that, but mm-hmm. he he was just ignoring me. So he's like, "Okay," I am like, "Okay, pack." Like, "Okay, fine." And he's 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 in his own space. I didn't affect him. I just wanted right. to get the shot right. right. And I'd like, okay, before you leave the room, let me get out of the room. So I'd leave the room, and then I'd get him walking out of the, down the now hall. And then would be like, okay. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, but, yeah but, but just you try and like not be obtrusive, right. but in a way where it's just like you're letting them live their lives, don't get in their way, especially if it's emotional. I <laughs> will tell you something funny. There's a scene where Richard and his son are throwing a knife Mm -hmm. uh, against a knife fort, and they almost (laughs) almost kill their dog. dog. (laughs) And this is a place where you just don't interject yourself. So, like, I saw the little dog, (laughs) like walking up to, like, they're throwing knives at a knife board. If you can just, if y'all listening to this can imagine this. And just because Richard is just a wild eccentric character, I don't know why he wants to throw knives at a board. These are throwing knives. Throwing knives. So we're like, this is really cool. And he got it from Magician Friends. So they're throwing knives. And I see the little dog. And I'm like, oh The dog is going up to the board. This, oh my gosh, what if the what if oh my god, yeah. yeah. Am
1: I gonna watch a dog get murdered? Exactly. (laughs) And
3: Richard can't see, so what if he misses the board? He throws low because he Mm -hmm. had missed several times. (laughs) So I'm filming and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And he throws, and it's this great scene because he almost does kill his dog, and I yell Judah, and his son yells Judah, and I'm like Judah and then I look back and the camera like oh I got the shot still and it's like <laughs> my first priority was I gotta get the shot second priority was I also don't hope the dog dies but like you can't interject it's real life and but, it becomes one of the best scenes but you know? you've killed a few dogs in your
2: yeah, house yeah. yeah. we've yeah. all just killed just for I fun though just for fun you never well
0: you did film those but that's for your personal yeah, right. use, <laughs> yeah. right
2: well there is a moment actually in the documentary Richard's on the couch and he's like shuffling cards and one card falls out uh King of Spades or Clubs? Yeah, that's probably. That, yeah. Um, and uh, it lands on the couch, like kind of behind the dog, and he's he doesn't know where it is because he's blind, and he's like looking on the couch. He doesn't find it because the dog's in the way, and he looks like on the ground, and he's just kind of. I feel like it's like this moment where you're like, even though he's a superhero, you ha- he has this. He still has this thing that he hasn't come to terms with, right? This issue, and um, you know, obviously as a filmmaker, you watch it and you're like. I wonder, like, how long the camera person is going to film this before they tell him
1: where the card is, right? Because you have rapport with them, you know them really well, and they need to trust you, right? So you're still a person, even if you're filming, right? Like, you're. I suppose you must be confronted with that. Yeah, well, that was that.
3: Like I said, that happened many months into filming. So uh, I remember something like that similar happened early on, and I helped them. But then I learned, like. We had this level of trust and also just like, I'm here, but I'm not here. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that happen, I was just like, this is like watching him look for the card was just that this is an important scene and I'm not going to interject myself. And he knew at that point, like not to ask me and he wasn't performing for me. Mm -hmm. He was literally having his own thoughts, which when you watch the film, you'll see he's thinking about other stuff at that point. So he's not really thinking about me being there, and I'm not really, he, you know. So it was just a total like I'm not here, but I'm filming it. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love. I actually love that you brought that scene up because we test screened this movie like eight or nine times, and that that scene was always in the movie um, from rough cut one. And I remember the first rough cut we screened was fine. I mean, it was a C plus B minus, maybe maybe worse than that. I don't know, but. I remember there were a few scenes that worked, and then there was that scene. And that scene, I could see people like cringing, but kind of like, because he, he, uh, Richard, the subject, makes a joke at the end, kind of. And it just, it felt like the perfect encapsulation of what the mm-hmm. whole movie was. It's kind of sad, kind of interesting, kind of curious, and then there's a little joke at the end. Yeah, right. And, but correct uh,
2: me if I'm wrong, you put that scene right after his son goes off to college, yes. and it right. kind of is like this punctuation on like, his eyes are gone, you know. Right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, he was really deep in thought that day. Yeah. So, so that really did take place yes. after. so yes. mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the way, the guy's son's name is Asa Spades. Yeah. Asa yeah. Spades. Asa Spades. This, so this film is not. This yeah. film
3: is not lacking in laughter and quirkiness or yeah. subtlety.
0: Sometimes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Richard is not
2: a subtle person. He's not <laughs> subtle at all. Yeah.
3: For all the drama, like it's yeah. it's it's really like got a
2: lot of laughter. Yeah. yeah. He enjoys karate chopping boards. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, <laughs> that's like good. the opposite of subtle. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um well we should wrap things up soon, but I just wanted to I sorry Matt, you might have some questions. No no I have cool. one more question. It's kind of craft related, and I think applies to both of you guys, which is like when you sit down to do an interview, like what do you what do you ask them? What do you say to an interview subject, especially in the earlier days to get them to say something interesting? What's the secret?
3: The interviewing is, is an art in itself. I think that you, um, an important thing is to not cut someone off um, because when you ask somebody a question, especially if you're asking to remember something, they will pause. They are searching their mind to try and give you what, they, what you're asking for, and it's important to just let that moment sit. And I think a lot of times you'll watch a documentary and be like, "That is such an emotional moment." And that person like is just sitting there with that thought, and it's just, like it's important not to rush into. Oh, and my next question is: I'll you almost th- want to help them, right? You, yes. Yes. like oh, like and that's the wrong reaction. reaction, right? wrong reaction. Yeah. You yeah. want to pick up the card.
1: Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant.
3: That was brilliantly put. Thanks. Dude. I think also when you start the the interview, it's nice too when you go into a space, if you're especially with the director. Let your DP, let your crew set up. Just go spend time with your interview subject. Get to, you know, Talk with them. It's nice to talk with them beforehand, obviously, on the mm-hmm. phone and stuff. But really, just I just try and not let them think about, we're here with cameras and stuff. Get to know them. At the beginning of the interview, it's nice just to talk about anything. Like at the beginning, before we started doing the podcast, talking about you know just off-the-wall stuff. So you get in that, you get in that mode. Sure. And yeah. then when you dive into the deep stuff, Bradley and I always position... Uh, emotional questions at pivotal times, and then we also try and follow it up a little bit with laughter, so we can ease it up. You know, mm. like so someone doesn't feel like too heavy. Like, and then when you get into it, what Bradley and I do is I'm interviewing, and I don't look at my questions ever. And then I'll ask Bradley, um, I'm just having a conversation because if you take it a different direction, I'm not going to say, well, my next question was this, so let's go back to that. No, right. we go down the path that we're going down, and sometimes like. 30 minutes in I'm like, "Hey Bradley, where are we at, man?" And he's back there checking off stuff, mm-hmm. making sure we're not missing any points. But the the point is to keep it a conversation. It's not like I have a list of questions and this is what we're going to talk about.
2: Right? Cuz Bradley is when you guys are writing this, you have things that you need to be covered by this interview.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we definitely know like certain interviews come in the timeline of making the film when like our One of our last interviews was an interview with Lori, his sister. Mm-hmm. Um, we had done an interview with her earlier, but we knew that we had this other opportunity to interview her three, three, uh, two and a half years into making the movie. And we had a pretty good rough cut at that point. And we were like, we need these four sound bites or some variation of them. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, how do we get her to answer these in a way that feels like she's... Because we knew right. we knew she would probably say some of these things, but we knew we needed. It would be great to have very specific things, mm-hmm. and also right. she
3: might say something that's phrased better than yes. we could imagine. So, so
2: you never say like, "Can you just like tell us?" I would say there's
3: probably only thing. one time in this whole film that we actually ask somebody, "Can you talk about this? Like, can you say this for us?" Because they had already said it, but maybe they they like they said an um, yeah, an um, or they just didn't answer it the best. And we just like you know, that's, that's it. Otherwise, we try and just, you can Frankenstein stuff, too, like in the edit. So right. There's no point in like trying to get someone just to phrase something. It sounds canned. Right. Do you ever
2: say, just, can you just repeat that one more time? Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but normally what I
3: like to do is I'll listen to what they just said. And I'm like, okay, they almost got there. And I come back five minutes later, and I'll ask them the same question in a different way, and they don't realize it. Oh, interesting. You know, because yeah. they got you got them warmed up. They're not like I, I already told you. This. No, no, it's like you asked them <laughs> We've about. You've
1: been like, doing this for three years.
2: <laughs> <laughs> My name is Lori.
3: <laughs> <laughs> What's your name again? Can you that again? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: That's awesome. Uh, and were there any moments where, like, in any of your earlier edits, where your dialogue or your question was like in the edit, and you kind of? Like, I'm in get there that one
3: time. Um, I'm in there on the boat when Richard does something absolutely ridiculous with he the does fish. Very oh disgusting. yeah, the yeah. And I that. said, "What's the point of this?" And actually, and the, our editor put that in there, and it made sense for me to be in there. But mo- for the most part, I try to not have my sure. voice heard. I mean, I'm not a Morgan Spurlock, you know, that's not my style. His style is that, and it's great for how he does it. But if you're off camera, only use, I think only use your voice when it's appropriate.
1: Right, right. And the yeah.
3: jinx
2: thing, his voice yeah. close to the end it appears a lot. Yeah, and right? it helps,
3: you know, I think if it helps the the storytelling, then
2: great. Well, it's because yeah. like the filmmaker realizes that this guy is... Is guilty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Do you have anything, uh, any advice you would give a young filmmaker interested in documentary? Right? In
3: documentary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. I never thought I'd make documentaries, and I've made two. I think that what is important is if you are going to make a documentary, you need to be interested in the subject. Because if you are not interested in the subject, um, typically these take a long time. It's a long burn. And you will not make it Mm -hmm. because what's going to happen is you're going to realize it's a lot harder than I thought. You're a year and a half into it. The cut isn't where you want it to be. You still have to do more filming. There's more blah, blah, blah. You might not get paid and you won't stick it out. So Mm -hmm. like you got to be willing to look at the long term and and it helps if like this, the magic one was very personal. (laughs) So like I was like all in. I also think it's important to tell yourself that you're not making a documentary. I would yes. put that on a billboard, actually, and Bradley and I would talk yeah, about that. Yeah. You're making a movie.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: if you, if you think about that and say, I'm making a movie, I'm telling a story, I'm not just trying to tell people facts, I'm not just trying to fill in the blanks, what do you love about a good movie? You love when you're trying to figure out as an audience member, you love being entertained, mm-hmm. you love the suspense, put that in your documentary. And if you can find a way to do that, not every story, you know, documentaries. You're not you're not scripting it, so you are given the story. You're given, so there are limitations. But make it as much like a movie as possible. And if you can look at it back and say, "Wow, that's a good movie," then you did a good job. You know,
0: I would say um, this comes from a more from a screenwriter focus because I actually never thought I'd make documentaries either. I've made my living as a screenwriter mostly for the last. Seven or eight years, and the muscles are different, but the skill set is the same. Or mm-hmm. yeah, because it it's like if you want to get in good shape, you need to do cardiovascular and you need to do weight training type thing.
1: Is that what you do? That's mm-hmm. that's I why know. I look
0: so
3: good. I, Actually, I, Bradley, for y'all know, uh, he doesn't have a shirt on. He never wears shirt. Sure, sure, sure. He's totally ripped. Yes, I just, I just realized. You, when you probably be-
2: <laughs> were miss, missed out on the cardiovascular joke a as a guy that it was working out with cards in his hand. Yeah.
0: I want to be known as the sexy screenwriter. Yeah, yeah, right? The go. guy with the tightest bod, uh, that also is great at final draft, but, uh, <laughs> to try and rewrite uh, Charlie the train,
2: Kaufman's pretty ripped. Yeah. He's looks got good. A,
0: he does, he does keep it tight. Um, <laughs> no, but it, it is, it is, it's different muscles, but it's the same skill set. It's, Writing a script, you know, you sit in front of a computer, and you're like, okay, I really want the character to get here. Okay, I'm gonna, i I got to write this, and it's not going to work. And maybe it'll work, and then maybe I'll figure it out. And then with a documentary, it's like, we want a character to get here, but how do we, like, we know he's going to be traveling here. We know he's got this event coming up. We know we're interviewing this subject. And we know that, you know, this thing is happening so let's write questions that mm-hmm. will get somebody to give us this little bridge. Let's go to this event, and hopefully this will happen. And then we'll add some music, and we'll, we'll kind of craft the edit. Well, and it's the, same, it's the same thing.
3: So with our previous documentary, is very historical, um, very different. But to Bradley's point, we knew the end, but how to get there with a nice arc is mm-hmm. still a challenge. So it doesn't matter whether you're, it's something that's un, unfolding in front of you mm-hmm. or already has, you still have to write it. And mm-hmm. You still kind of figure out like when people are getting bored, when to like change that plot point, when to do the twist, when the third act comes in. So it, like I said, it's a lot of the same muscles.
1: Cool. So what's uh, yeah? What's next for Delt yeah. and you guys? So Delt um,
3: comes out October 20th. In uh, New York, October twenty seventh in LA, and then it rolls out to fifteen more cities. So we're we're thankful IFC Sundance selects picked up uh, the film and did a nice push with it. It'll also be available
2: on demand. So um,
0: iTunes and
2: all iTunes other cable VOD, all yeah. that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, and yeah. you guys have an another movie on the agenda on
3: the. We each, so Bradley nice. and I are working on a couple of, th- like another thing together. Um, there's, there's some things that have been popping. Yeah, we're um, pitching right now on, we're a, pitching. on a series. Oh, right, TV. Get, yeah. Yep. T- TV's the way of the future, the way
0: of the future, <laughs> to quote Leo. Yeah,
3: so, um, working hard, and, and Bradley's got some other projects. And you're
2: and, pitching docuseries or scripted stuff? Right now, this one's together. a yeah.
0: yeah, we're pitching a docuseries. Yeah. Kind of rooted in the world of magic a little bit. Yeah. yeah.
2: Cool.
1: Sign me up, guys. Yeah. 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 Uh, Cool, guys. Well, do you have a second to hang out and uh, endorse with us? Yes. Unpaid endorsements. Um, Warren, you want to kick us off? You got some?
2: Uh, Yeah. I have a couple small ones. As usual, I will say that they're not great, (laughs) but. (laughs) I can't wait for you to have a great one, (laughs) Warren. I know. Well, so my first one is I think like 90% of our listeners probably know about it. <laughs> for the ten percent that don't, do you, Matt? Do you go anywhere to get like Holly inside Hollywood news?
1: I mean, Deadline. Like, yeah. No, do you go I, to Deadline? Do I go to Deadline? Yeah. No, 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 no. I'll like follow a handful of like. I do. You go to deadline. Oh, com. all the time. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So no, I go to so, rare. so Deadline. I was going to mention
2: is like this website. I probably go to it every two or three days when I'm procrastinating. I you usually read mostly just the headlines but if you ever want to get like the pulse of like what is selling in Hollywood then just go to deadline.com and you'll see what movies are being made what tv shows are being made and i mean i mean i know i'm sure most people know about it but if you are not in LA and you're like interested in you know working in this industry it's just not a bad place to see like, what I love about it is when they describe what is selling right now, it's like usually a one sentence thing. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's like basically log lines that are selling right now.
3: We were actually, uh, we, like, when we sold IFC, it was like, DELT lands in Sundance Lex hand. You know, yeah. and it's
1: like, you know, it tells you about <laughs> oh, the yeah. deal. That just, me, yeah. 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 I, I would double down and say, I like uh, with news sources, also subscribe to their newsletter. So i don't have i then I just every day I'll get it in my inbox, and you it's the same thing you just kind of you can scan headlines real quick, but oh cool, yeah, I have that somehow with tube filter, which is kind of like mm-hmm. the digital
2: version of right, deadline, yeah. but deadline um it's not like fandango or rotten tomatoes it's not from a fan's perspective it's, it's very much right. industry, industry. industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so if anyone doesn't know about it, it's worth checking out um and then uh the thing I mentioned to you guys before we started recording. The latest episode of The Frame, which is another podcast, it's an NPR podcast. I had an episode with Greta Gerwig where she talked about directing her first movie, Lady Bird. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, And she talked about these tips, which I will tell you right now, so you don't even have to listen to that podcast. (laughs) So she made everyone on set wear name tags, um, which is something she got from Mike Mills.
0: That's a great idea.
2: Um, And the interviewer was like, yeah, I saw two pictures of you from set. One said Greta Gerwig, and it said... um, Breakfast at Tiffany's, and then another one I saw said Greta Gerwig, and we can't start the fire. We we didn't start, we the, fire. Didn't start the fire.
1: So it's like she works. And at it the said we didn't start we did, the fire. It, it. Yeah.
2: So she said, yeah. Well, every morning, like the head PA,
1: like writes a question, and everyone has to write the answer. So I had a second AD who would write a question in the call sheet, and so then you would go talk to him about it afterwards, and they were always great. Oh,
2: so yeah. So her yeah. question was, "What's a movie that you should love but you don't?" Oh, um, funny. And what's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, so nice. um So, but it is cool, especially on a feature, because she said, like, sometimes we'll have a new boom operator, and, like, you don't want to be like, hey, you. You want to say, like, hey, Joe. Yeah. yeah. All boom operators are named Joe. I love the idea and, of name tags. Except for
0: Sean, who is our boom operator. Oh, on but Delt. he's. We hated yeah.
2: Sean. <laughs> I'm talking about generous boom. Forget Sean. <laughs> um,
0: Selfish Sean.
2: Uh, Yeah, so a tip she said she got from Spike Jones was if you don't like the shot, just start turning off lights. Mm. Which was interesting, which is something I just did on this Converse job. Like we had these like all this these neon lights built into the set and like for some reason like the lights were off and I was like, This looks so fucking awesome. And so we had this kind of nice looking shot turned on. I was like, Jess, our D P can you just turn off everything except for those neon lights? And it was like ten times better. It's like Blade Runner. (laughs) She also makes a playlist for every day of her shoot. Every day that she, because she knows we're going to shoot these scenes on day one, these scenes on day two, and she just like has like a little you know whatever jam box or something that she plays the music, and she feels like it gets kind of all the actors into mm-hmm. the same space before a scene. And she has, I I would probably never go for this rule, but she has like a no cell phone rule on set because you said as an actor you're like trying to get into the scene and you're like look over and some guys just like texting yeah um, you know, someone's probably and, a good rule for actors, yeah, yeah, but you know we're not actors, so
1: <laughs> I, don't I like the idea that. of not having cell phones.: Yeah, sure. I mean,
2: I'm never on my cell phone because I'm so busy, but i, I I'm could, always on my cell
1: phone.
2: Yeah. when you're directing, yeah, I just don't pay attention to anything.:
1: <laughs> I haven't heard that about you, <laughs> it's like, yeah be um, anyway. really great thanks for.: yeah, yeah.
2: So the frame with Greta Gerwig is you, it's probably not even worth listening to anymore because I told you all the best parts.
1: Um, and then deadline. That's what I got. What do you got, Matt? Oh, guys, you want to go? I can close it out. No? You, yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay. Uh, so, um, I am listening to a new podcast called flash forward. Have you guys heard of this podcast? No, it's great. It's about, uh, alternative versions of the future. So the host will take okay. like, you know, an idea like, um, like something that's happened in like present day science, like, um, like, uh, they just managed to like breed, um, lambs outside of a womb, for instance, right? And so then mm-hmm. they'll do a little fake like documentary about being in the future and that being a thing. So like, oh, you'll hear like a like, you know, you'll you'll call into um, you know, a, a natal clinic, but like you can, you know, press one if you want to have a natural birth. Press two if you want to have a, a exterior birth, all that sort of stuff. So they kind of like paint the picture of what the future will be like and then do interviews about the real science of That and and what is actually going to happen in the future? So it's like Black Mirror meets World War Z, the book. Sure, but all but radio documentary. So it's a it's fictionalized in the beginning just to have a little bit of fun, but then they talk about the real science behind it. It's great. Oh, cool. Flash Flash forward. Flash flash forward. Yeah. That's really cool. Less nudity than I expected, but sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, flash forward the um, uh, Instagram is a, it's it's a more totally satisfying for you. Yeah, yeah,
2: oh, yeah. you told me, was yeah. I supposed to remind you about an Instagram? Photo? Oh, yeah, I
1: got, we got to take a picture, guys. I okay. just started an Instagram. Oh, so. oh okay. Oh, okay.
3: Yes. All right, well, I guess um, I would recommend the Disaster Artist book. Mm. I know. I just watched the trailer recently, and if if any of you have never read the book, have any you all read the book? I haven't the read disaster the disaster artist. Oh, okay, so A I read it book. in about two days. I could have read it in one. I just I just had to put it down just so it was like I could enjoy it longer. And I gave it to Bradley. He instantly binged it too. Yeah. It is about. You know, the room, the making of the room. Oh, yes. And that movie's coming out in December. So you have time. Like James Franco You movie. need to read this book. One, you will feel so much better about yourself as a filmmaker. Two, <laughs> you will laugh so much to yourself and just to realize that like if you ever think that filmmaking is intimidating, here's a guy who actually went out and did it. He made so many mistakes. He still made a film though, and just the stories is it's just Incredible! Like for instance, he filmed an HD and film two cameras t- duct taped <laughs> together. You can't make this stuff up. So this James 1990s.
0: 19... yeah, and sure. James
3: yeah. Franco is starring in the film that they bought the rights. I immediately read it. it was the first book that I read. and I was like, I really wish I had so much money because I would option this. I googled it, of course, James Franco. Sure. And I was like, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, and one of the things, just be just for fun, um, look up on YouTube, look at it. It's this guy that looks at a car and he says, "Look at it, look at it, look at it." Look That's all he says, "Look at it." And I promise you, you're just gonna—it's a hidden treasure on YouTube. It's hilarious, so for a good laugh,
0: very very funny. <laughs> all right, I'll do—I'll do a couple of quick quick ones. Independent movies. I don't know if it's still in theaters anymore, but there's a movie uh, called Briggs Be Bear that I just absolutely loved. It was made by uh, Kyle Mooney, Dave McCrary, um, and Kyle's on SNL. Beck Bennett is also in the movies on SNL it's kind of like the disaster artist in a weird way. It's just about people making movies and it was really sweet and very, very lovely. Um, A movie coming out that uh, I got to see at Sundance Uh, is a movie called call me by your name with army hammer. And it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's kind of a tough sell, but it has, it's a, it's a really good movie for the first two acts. Really good. But then the third act happens and it is just, one of those, there's a couple of scenes. There's a scene with Michael Schulenberg, who I don't know if Michael, Michael Schulenberg is. Uh, he's a great actor. He was in Jobs, mm. um, the Danny Boyle uh, Jobs mm. movie. Uh, and there's a scene with Michael Schulenberg and his son, and it, I just I can't get it out of my head. I saw it at Sundance six or seven months ago, and I still can't stop thinking about that one scene. It's just powerful. That's powerful. coming
3: out in theaters really soon, right?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think everyone's saying it's going to get all the Oscar buzz. And Call Me... Call Me By Your Name. The trailer's out now. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. And then, just a quick podcast shout out, just because I love uh, Pete Holmes. But Pete Holmes has a podcast called "You Made It Weird" that I really, really, uh, I really jam to. It's it just kind of it's one of those podcasts that makes you feel less alone. Um, <laughs> like when I first moved to to I did A i i didn't I didn't know a lot of people, and so for some reason I started listening to that, and it just kind of made me feel less alone. But he has an interview with Michael Ian Black. And I've always thought Michael Ian Black is a funny, he's a funny guy, but I've never, I never really thought beyond that. Um, And then this interview with Michael Ian Black just kind of blew my mind and it's two hours and it's just so funny and then it gets really emotional and really deep. So check that out. That's
1: his specialty. Yeah. Yeah. So by, by the way, guys, do you believe in God? <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: you guys but, want to talk about uh,
2: Yeah, yeah. But that is a good tip. If you want to feel lonely, move to
1: LA. I don't think about two years. <laughs> That's to why I live yeah. in Austin. New York, though, guys. New York, no lonelier. Yeah. New you York kidding? is the loneliest city in the world. You I would move. I would say New York is more lonely. What? Yeah. Because get, because New New millions New of New New people are stacked people. on top
3: all times. That's why it's in LA. You're in a do
1: not give a fuck about you. Yeah, yeah. In New York,
2: it's like smaller
1: with. Three,
2: two
3: times as many people. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: At least you're rubbing elbows with people. Here, it's like you're alone in your apartment, you're alone in your car, you're alone. I don't know. When I come out here, man, plantation. I feel like I'm part of the crowd. Yeah, man. Just like, chill. yeah it's because you
0: got a movie,
2: man. You got a cool movie, you're staying with friends. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, right. Got we Brad,
0: Bradley
3: paved the way for you. I yeah. got a couch to crash on, man. Yeah.
1: Life is good. Man. Life's good. You a kitchen
3: putt today? I beat we you, did. It was great. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> (laughs) Cool, guys. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, Where can we find out more about you guys?
3: Um, So as far as the film, just Delt, DeltMovie.com or on our Facebook. As far as us, I mean, just IMDBS, man.
1: No Twitter, no... uh, I
0: I am at Bradley Jackson on Twitter
3: and i am the only luke quorum in the united states so just google that and K-O-R-E-M. i was very, I was very thankful for that so yeah. you know i i don't really do the twitter thing but i do facebook sure, and sure. um in, and um instagram do you guys accept
2: like Facebook friend
1: requests from people you don't know. Yeah, only from like strange hot babes.
2: Yeah,
0: exactly, who are clearly not real.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I do have one friend
0: and you joined in 2017, two days
1: ago. I I will say I judge the dude, like your friends who do accept them. You're like, come on, man, how stupid are you? Yeah. Well, I think I've gotten some like requests from podcast listeners. Yeah.
2: They're like filmmakers with no mutual friends with me. Right, yeah, yeah.
3: I typically don't, I don't accept, accept random friend requests. At yeah. uh, first, look how many mutual friend requests do we have, and how many of those mutual friends do I actually feel like I'm right. a friend of? Right. But
2: yeah. also, like on Facebook, if I post something, I'll be like pictures of my kid, or yeah. I'll post about my projects, But it's more like, hey, does can someone recommend this thing? Like, it's not about the breadth of the yeah. network. It's
1: about the yeah.
2: personal connections.
1: I well, think. and we're working on kind of building out the community aspects of the show a little bit more mm-hmm. because I think really like when a fan of the show is, is friending us, I think it's really just like, hey, I wanna talk about movies and like the business and stuff with people. So right. we're working on that guys. Yeah.
2: We'll get there. I mean, we're I'm all into interacting with our fans. You yeah. want to have coffee? Just email me. Sure, I'll probably true. send Matt in my place. But. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'll be ten minutes late. I'm sorry. Already. We've
3: really enjoyed being on this with you guys. Yeah. Been it's been super awesome. fun. Thank Thanks so have. much, guys. Thank you so
1: much. Um, if you want to learn more about the show or check out the show notes, you can go to justshootitpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at, just shoot at pod. and on Instagram. You'll get the hot tip on who's going to be on the show a couple weeks before the episode comes out. Uh, just shoot it pot on Instagram. You can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And me at Smitey
2: Pyleg. This episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. Yep, music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jajar. And if you could leave us a review on iTunes, that would be awesome. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.